Hello, my name is Elizabeth Smith, and I just purchased my feather quill. This podcast was recorded at 3.58 on April 2nd, 1788. Things may not be the same when you listen to this recording, but I'll still be writing with my feather quill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new podcast, Pantsuits and Overalls. I'm your host, Kirsten McBride, and today I am joined by Grace Landon. Awesome. Um, today, for our first show, we are going to be debating the Constitution and whether or not it should replace the Articles of Confederation. Um, I will be taking the con side of this argument, and Grace Lennon will be taking the pro side, so she's going to go ahead and start us off. Thank you, Kirsten. Today, I will be taking the pro side of the argument because I believe the Constitution is suitable for a large country and ensures individual rights. The Constitution would also provide protections against abuse of power, and it would secure judicial independence and review. My first point is that the Constitution is suitable for a large country and ensures individual rights. According to Madison and Federalist 10, a republic is a government with diverse representation where representatives are chosen. He states, the two great points of difference between a democracy and a republic are, First, the delegation of the government in the latter to a small number of citizens elected by the rest. Secondly, the greater number of citizens and greater sphere of country over which the latter may be extended. Madison believed that factions operate in their own interest and ignore the rights of other citizens and the interest of the community. Factions would allow for any one group to become too powerful, whereas a republic that Madison argues would ensure a balance of wants in the society. Also, a larger republic can represent larger numbers of citizens and may extend over a larger territory. And a larger republic has a large variety of interests. My second point is that the Constitution would provide protections against abuse of power. Federalist 51 states that the government must have separation of powers with checks and balances so that while it governs the people, its own power is also limited. It states, you must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place oblige it to control itself. Separation of powers is necessary for the preservation of liberty. It states that it is evident that each department should have a will of its own and consequently should be so constituted that the members of each should have as little agency as possible in the appointment of the members of the others. Madison believed that the government would be the true reflection of the people it represents. He states, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. My next point is that the Constitution secures judicial independence and review. In Federalist 78, it states, there is no liberty if the power of judging be not separated from the legislative and executive powers. Hamilton states that the freedom has nothing to fear from the executive alone, however would have everything to fear from its association with both of the different branches. Alrighty, Grace, thank you for that lovely introduction. Um, We're gonna take a quick break. Alrighty, and we are back. Um, Grace, thank you for that lovely argument. Um, but before we progress any further in our debate, I have a couple questions for you. Um, so my first question is uh, more like a hypothetical. 
Um, would you say that it's easier to pick between two different ice cream flavors or ten different ice cream flavors? I would say it's easier to pick between two. Okay, awesome. Um, I would agree with that. Okay, so let's apply that same logic to government. So as you know, an important function of government is deciding how to allocate taxpayer money to the general public, what social uh, welfare programs they want to spend it on, and do they want to spend it on the military, all those sorts of things. So my question for you is, how, if you agree that it's easier and more efficient to choose between two ice cream flavors rather than ten, how is the Constitution better equipped to handle a larger republic? While it's less efficient to choose between, let's say, ten ice cream flavors rather than two, or to choose to allocate funds between two groups or two schools rather than 300, Madison was arguing that with a larger republic, the Constitution better represents those groups and those people. This is executed in society today where corporate lobbyists share their views and opinions of their constituents with policymakers who then balance those competing interests and make informed decisions that represent the will of the public. Okay, and while I totally understand your point about um, what Madison had to say, what I was saying was that I don't believe that a government that is far away from the people will do a better job of making decisions than a government that's close to the people. Like, obviously New York has a really different economy and political climate than Georgia. So how could a national policy fit both of those? It couldn't. So what I'm saying is that there are less factors involved when a state makes a decision versus the national government, and it's better suited to the people that it affects. Yes, you might have, there are more people in New York than there are in Georgia. So if we were to do a national policy with just the people between those two states, the policy would be in favor of the people in New York, but what about the poor farmers in Georgia? What about them? Alrighty, we're running out of time, so I'm going to go ahead and state my arguments. Um, So again, I'm Kirsten McBride. Our proposition is that the Constitution should replace the Articles of Confederation um, in the United States. I am going to be taking the con side. I disagree with this statement. Um, The reasons I disagree with this are because um, the Constitution threatens natural rights. Um, Also, the state governments are closer to the people than the national government is, and they'll do a much better job of listening to the concerns of the people. And um, finally, that there is too much power in the executive branch at the expense of the legislative branch. Alrighty, so my first point was that the Constitution threatens uh, individual rights and liberties. And so the biggest issue that I have with the Constitution is that it doesn't have a Bill of Rights. Um, As famously quoted by Thomas Jefferson, half a loaf of bread is better than no bread at all. Uh, Basically, in this quote, he's saying, if we can't secure all of our rights, let's at least secure what we can. Um, And, you know, I just can't believe that you would I just can't believe that you would promote a type of government without a Bill of Rights, especially after we were so mercilessly abused under the king. You know, there was taxation without representation. You know, the Stamp Act, um, there was 
we were first forced to quarter soldiers in our homes. They took away our ability to host colonial assemblies. Like, how could you support something like this? You know, as I think beautifully articulated by Mercy Otis Warren, she said that um, ratifying this document without a Bill of Rights would undermine the Revolutionary War. Um, And this kind of goes against the point that you brought up when you said the Constitution um, with checks and balances would protect the people against the abuses of a large government. But I disagree. Um, As articulated by Thomas Hobbes Leviathan, uh, he believed that people are naturally greedy and um, like serve their own self-interest. And so... So my point is, how can we expect a government who is innately greedy and selfish to not intrude on the individual liberties and freedoms of the American people when there is no Bill of Rights in place to set the bounds of what the government can and cannot do? Another thing that you had talked about earlier that you argued was a plus was that the Constitution, you said, could represent a larger republic, um, and you said that it would represent a large variety of interests, but I disagree. Um, You know, as I kind of brought up earlier with my question about ice cream and government allocating funds, um, the national government is too far away from the people. Um, there will be too much clashing of ideas, it will be inefficient, it'll be impossible to determine the will of the people. And like I brought up with the different states, um, it's just impossible for the government to appease all the different regions and all the different economies in the United States and make everyone happy. Whereas if we left most of the governing to the states, this happiness and, you know, equilibrium peace could be achieved. And additionally, like, our republic is going to grow to the size of hundreds of millions of people, and there's just no possible way that the government can be equipped to listen to the needs of all of those people. Like, it's just not possible. Um, The next contention that I brought up was that there's too much power in the executive branch at the hands of the legislative branch. We just went through this difficult revolutionary war in order to protect ourselves against a monarchy, And now you're trying to place power in a similar spot in government in the hands of the executive. And like Mercy Otis Warren said, it would undermine the Revolutionary War. Um, And then one thing I forgot to mention earlier, but I do think it's another reason that the Constitution would be a bad fit for uh, America, is that it's just, it's super vague, right? Um, you know, as talked about in Brutus number one, uh, the Constitution leaves the opportunity for those in power to abuse it. Um, you know, Grace, your interest group, you know, as a Federalist, you're an elitist. You're well-fed, you're well-read, you're well-bred, right? Um, you've shown those elitist tendencies, particularly in Federalist 10, where Madison develops the idea that, uh, is later articulated in Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America about the tyranny of the majority. You know, Madison claims that 
the Constitution would prevent the will of the majority from trampling on the rights of the minority, but let's call a spade a spade. In the current climate, you are a minority. As, you know, an elite rich person, you're a minority. The farmers, the working class, what I am, I'm the majority. You have set up this government to protect yourself. So I'm just struggling to understand how you can preach a government to the people that protects your money and your power at the expense of the common man and of the majority. Okay, first off, I feel a little attacked by your last point. (laughs) I know, I know, but my point was made. (laughs) Yes, it was, but I have to say, while I am a minority, there are other minorities that it represents or protects, like African Americans once they are granted freedom, or women, or immigrants, and just future minorities and groups in general. Okay, your biggest point in your argument was that In your argument, your biggest objection to the Constitution was that it lacks a Bill of Rights, correct? Correct. With that in mind, I have a question for you. So, let's just say I send you to the grocery store with a list that says fruits on it. What kind of things would you get? Um, I'd probably get some apples, um, maybe a couple bananas, probably some strawberries, uh, maybe a couple oranges, I don't know. Okay, so now let's say that I send you to the grocery store, but instead of writing fruits on the list, I write apples and bananas. What would you get? Apples and bananas. So wouldn't you agree that apples and bananas encompasses less than fruit in general? Yeah, I would agree with that. So the same logic can be applied to creating the Bill of Rights. The moment it's written down, we limit the liberties of the people, and this is seen in future court cases where it'll be argued that they don't have the right because it's not on the list. And it's just not possible to create a list that includes or has all the liberties that we want to give the people or will give the people in the future. Okay, agreed, yes. When we write the liberties down of the people, we limit them. We just do. But, you know, as Thomas Jefferson said, and I quoted earlier, half a loaf of bread is better than no bread. You know, having some limits imposed on what the government can and can't do and how they can and can't abuse their authority on the people is better than having no limits at all. And, you know, yes, we limit them, but why not create a Ninth Amendment that says this isn't an exhaustive list? Because that's a real easy way around this. We're going to take a quick break. And we're back, and we're headed into our closing arguments. Hello again, it's Grace Landon, and just a reminder, I took the pro side of today's argument because I believe the Constitution is suitable for a large country and ensures individual rights. It also provides protections against abuse of power and secures judicial independence and review. Alrighty, and I am Kirsten, and again, I am against the Constitution replacing the Articles of Confederation. Um, One point of graces that I did forget to attack earlier is about judicial independence. Um, Yes, judicial independence is important because, you know, the point of the judicial branch is to check the powers of the rest of the government, which I personally am very for, a limited national government. But my thought is, how 
can the judicial branch really be independent of, you know, the people and the other two branches when it has to establish legitimacy? It can't totally go against, you know, what the people want. Otherwise, the people won't consider it legitimate and won't listen to its rulings. And it can't really go against what the executive and legislative want either because the legislative can just pass a law or an amendment around it and the executive branch can choose not to enforce it. So as great of an idea as the judicial branch limiting the rest of government sounds, its applications just really aren't that great, like just not that realistic. Um, But anyways, to go back through the arguments that I made earlier, um, the Constitution as it is right now threatens natural rights. There is no safeguard, no Bill of Rights to protect individual liberties. The state governments are closer to the people and will do a much better job than a larger national government uh, with listening to the concerns of the people um, and legislating accordingly. Uh, The Constitution is too vague. And lastly, there is just too much power um, in the executive branch, which the people don't popularly elect. It's elected through the Electoral College, which limits democracy and protects the elitists, like my colleague Grace Landon. Thanks again for joining us on our first ever podcast of pantsuits and overalls. I hope you enjoyed listening to our informed discussion on the Constitution. Again, I'm Grace Landon, joined by my co-host, Kirsten McBride, and don't forget to join us for tomorrow's episode with your crumpets and tea as we discuss some juicy gossip with King George.